One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. We have the Paris-Roubaix men's recap. I'm battling through, unlike every classics rider that got sick after Ken Um, really under the weather, but, you know, professional podcaster will brave through. <laughs> we have 258Ks, 29 cobbled sectors. MVDP, the favorite before the race. Wafanat, second favorite with the Yumbo Visma super team, but Alberson's team would be arguably stronger today. And... This has happened a lot this classic season, Benji. The break just never, ever oh. goes because so many teams want to be in the break. Exactly. I started listening on GCN Plus when, they, when it kick-started and I heard that, okay, Oliver Narsen, five times attacking in the first two kilometers to try and get in that breakaway. Jon van Kersburg trying to get in the breakaway. Every team seemed to have two or three riders assigned at the start to be in the breakaway because in Roubaix, you never know what group is actually going to get away. And you think to yourself, if we do it with one rider only, then we likely won't make the split that happens. So that's why a lot of teams are trying to get in there with m- lots of riders. And sometimes a group of four would start existing. Like there was one with Bosen Hagen and Ryan Mullen for a bit. But in reality, it took a while for a, for a proper breakaway to form. And we had a breakaway that formed that was actually not a strong breakaway. But this was, we were nearing the first couple sectors when this first break started getting away. So I was thinking, are we actually going to get to these couple sectors without a breakaway? But no, no, no. We had a breakaway in this race and we had a German in there, Jonas Koch. We had another German in there. What's his name? Oh, God. What's the second oh, the German guy? Break. The break? You've, oh, you're God. beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> there There's were four riders in the break. In there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this this breakaway had like a minute. We know that from this point onwards that we're getting into the cobble sectors pretty soon. And if you got a minute there, then we said it in the preview. The break will lose time towards the cobble sector as the peloton speeds up, trying to get into position before every so- cobble sector. And on the cobble sector, initially, the peloton will go a bit faster. But towards the end, they might settle themselves into a tempo that the breakaway can uphold as well. But after each couple sector, there's this moment where the peloton kind of stocks, where the tempo kind of dies out for a tiny bit before someone else takes up arms. And that's where we notice that the break goes from like 40 seconds at the start of a couple sector to 120 after the couple sector. And this happens on every single couple sector. But so much is happening behind. So many people have bad luck. So many crashes, so many punctures and so forth. But one of the main consequences there is that quick step gets demolished before we even get to through it Ardenberg, right? Osgrin, Ballerini crashes. And I think Van Bala was caught behind the crash early as well, which he needed to come back from towards the Forest of Valerius, the through it Ardenberg. So we're really in this moment where everybody tries to survive. Everybody tries to position themselves. And at first we see Wout van Aert with Jumbo positioning themselves on the first two couple sectors at the front, because they know if we're at the front of the peloton, there's a less likelihood that someone else will crash in front of us. 
Then we see Alpacin doing that after that for a few cobble sectors, then Ineos, and um, it's basically survival mode, right? Yeah, it's just people thinking, okay, it's all going to kick off on Troy Durenberg. I was kind of surprised not to see Ian van Kersburg try and get in the breakaway today. I thought he really would. Um, was it Valscheid in the early break? I'm not sure, but um, van Kersburg really... Nope. Yeah, he and Norsgaard for Movistar didn't try. Loscano tried, and even when Trek, you could see Trek and Alpsen were trying, and Jumbo just were shutting it down. But yeah, I was watching, I watched the whole race from start to finish in horizontal recovery mode on GCN Plus, wall to wall coverage, not just of Maru Bay, but the upcoming Giro in less than a month, and then the Tour de France in July. And LRCP listeners can get 15% off an annual GCN Plus subscription in selected territories, bringing you every unmissable moment from these huge races like Paris-Roubaix, including pre- and post-game show as well. So go check out link out down below. But the plan was, Alveson then took control a little bit. The brake hovered at 1.30. Alveson just paced a lot. Uh, Ineos had some crashes. Tarling crashed out Luke Rowe in a tarmac corner. Yep. I think he would have gotten earful for that. Sheffield <laughs> crashed again. Quickstep, as you said, looked gone. And we're coming up to Havluia Wallers. So this is after Denain. So we have the first phase of cobbles before Denain. Then there's the tarmac section. Everyone gets feed. Alberson were pacing is chill. Then Havluia Wallers, Trey Dunberg, <laughs> and then the second. Yeah, chill, I guess. And then the second Wallers. That's the one. And then. Jumbo Visma do a lead out with Tim Van Dyke. We'd not really seen where Dylan Van Baal or Nathan Van Hoydonk was, but for Wout Van Aert into the Havluia Wallers with Christophe Laporte on his wheel, which uh, that was the plan. Uh, Cliff knows the plan was to open up the race <laughs> there. Um, but Jumbo only got two in that group, Benji. And they had MVDP in there, the big rival, and Kung. And so I was like, Laporte even had MVDP on his wheel and he didn't let the wheel go. But the question was, where was Van Hoydonk and Dylan Van Bala for Jumbo Visma? But still, I think they caught a lot of favorites by surprise, like Ineos and Pedersen. Yeah, I think so as well. Van Hoydonk seemed to be positioned further, which is not ideal if you want to be in that front split. Van Bala had to come back earlier, so maybe he wasn't positioned well when that moment happens. I feel like we've seen a few times this year where Van Bale is not positioned ideally before the moment where you'd expect something to pop off. Now, if it indeed was the plan to go on Havre-Louis he would know that he would need to be in a good position, so maybe he had trouble getting to the front. But I feel like it's something we've seen a few times this year when it comes to Van Bale's positioning, and maybe that's why he prefers anticipating than going to the hill with the big guns in the first place. That being said, we see that group form. Degen Kolb in there as well with Van der Poel, Kuing, Laporte, and Wout van Aden, that's a damn good group. And we see people behind that, and it's already a big gap. It's like Peterson, Ganna, and so forth, and like a second group that is behind. And no, we Peterson know that. Peterson was solo. Oh. Peterson yeah, panicked. That, that was a bit later. Peterson panicked initially, but he then dropped back yeah. to the group and tried to fly again a bit later. But we've got this segment now between Havre-Louis, Avalers, and the actual Forest of Arenberg section where you'd expect things to pop off even more through Adenberg. And we see that the breakaway still has a bit of a gap. That's a group that's still ahead, but the gap is minimizing towards Truid Ardenberg. So the group behind will, will probably catch up on Truid Ardenberg is what we'd probably be expecting at that point in the race. And 
Truida Arenborg is like Arenborg, Truida Arenberg, is the section where, probably known as Gate to Hell, where you'd expect groups to try and come back together and people to bridge two groups ahead because it's really bloody long and it's a really hard five-star cobbled sector. And that's where Peterson tries to bridge up to Truida, uh, throughout Truida Arenberg to the front group. And, well, he has a bit of luck in the front group, no? Well, yeah, it helped. Well, I think Pedersen didn't need to do that bridge. He could have waited with Ganna because Yumbo and Co. weren't riding full on Aremberg. Just like last year, Yumbo Visma have a catastrophic failure of their equipment. Oh, I say that. Yeah. They had a flat, flat rear tyre. Catastrophic. They, they had a flat tyre <laughs> full of port. But strategically, this completely changed the race. So, yep. and then behind, so that's, and Laporte, he's, every year in Roubaix, he's had multiple mechanicals, terrible luck in Roubaix, or maybe he hits the cobbles differently, I don't know. Dylan Van Bala crashes himself out of the race, he's in a bad crash behind on Trade Arenberg. The plan was, get Rise in the front group, Pedersen and Ganna panic, Van Hoydonk and Van Bala get brought back by them, you have four riders in a group of nine, and then you can start to work over Van der Poel. Instead, what happens, Laporte flats, the wheel change takes so long that Pedersen goes past, Ghana goes past, and the Alperson, and a group with Alperson having two riders, Philipson and Vermeersch goes yeah. past, and Laporte's another 20 seconds, 30 seconds behind them after the wheel change, after Arenberg. So he's now sitting in the middle of no man's land with the peloton, with like quick step, sort of just with no one chasing behind. Van Baal's crashed out, yeah. Van Hooyonk's sitting in the group behind, and even with Van Aert not working in front, when the Alpsen group with Ghana gets over, with, with Pedersen who gets over, and Degenkolb's there, by the way, we haven't mentioned him, they all start working. Now, all of a sudden, you have three Alpsen, one Yumbo. Wow, with like 90Ks to go. Exactly. So it shifted completely from Yumbo having an upper hand in the front group over Vanderpool to a situation where Alpston has an upper hand numerical advantage on Wout van Aert in that front group. And Laporte obviously is in a moment where he's likely going to shot Spatat if he keeps going, so he falls back towards the group that is behind where, let's be honest about it, you're sitting in a situation where you're probably going to have to solve it yourself with Jumbo because Quickstep Osgrain crashed once again as well on Truid Ardenberg, so Quickstep like half devoured. They also weren't there when they needed to be with Lampard and so forth, so clearly not good enough when it mattered. The likes of Lotto are the ones that are trying to pace. The likes of Israel. Yeah, so it's very unlikely that that group gets back to the front. And from that point onwards, I was focused on that front group, that group with the likes of Vermeers, Philipsen, for your boy Macho van der Poel, Wout van Aert in there, Degenkolb in there, Pedersen in there, Kung in there, and Ghana in there. I do have to mention, there's a few riders that were part of this segment. We saw a good race of Maris Mikkels, who was great on Truid Ardenberg, but had a I think a front wheel pretty much collapsing in front of him while he was in that front group as he had anticipated before through it automatic. He did a great race, 19 years old, top rider. You love the guy, eh? Maris Mikkels, the way he sprinted yeah. in, was it Croatia? In and, uh, Estonia, Rex, Rex, Groves, uh, last Lawrence year. Rex was also there. The Entermarché rider, Belgian dude. Also a very strong race. You might remember as the guy that was basically almost shoved off the road by Ballerini in the Ronde van Vlaanderen, then Ballerini crashed. Laurens Rex was also in that group, so a really strong performance by those guys, but um, 
What did you think when you saw that group? You were like, uh, uh, well, in this phase, I thought the main, the main tactical mistake I can point to for Yumbo today is letting the peloton go out to 150 with Laporte chasing on his own at like 112 when yeah. afterwards they decide to close it with Van Hoydonk and Laporte anyway. They should have put someone on the front when it was at one minute and or 55 seconds and chased full gas, catch Laporte, he saves energy, whether that was maybe someone couldn't after Arenberg. I don't know. We don't have clear shots of group three, I think it was, on the road, but that's where you point to afterwards. Yeah, it, then when it goes out to 150, they... Van Hooydonk goes clear, Laporte and Vermeersch, Florian, that is, bridge on the Orshi sector. But yeah, group one, I didn't think they were ever coming back. Wout was sitting on, correct thing to do, but yeah, because Ghana, Denkolb, Kung, Valscheid, Rex, who else? They were all working, despite Alperson having three in the group. Philipson and Vermeersch, I was really surprised by that. Really surprised. Is I it? thought it's their responsibility to pull the gap out to uh, Laporte and keep him behind, and that way you're not dealing with as many Alperson yourself in the final. Firmly agree they're reducing the chances of themselves winning by probably thinking, if I keep working here, I'm securing at least a top position in this race, a top X amount of position in this race, which... That's not really the mentality that will get you on the top step of the Paris Bay podium. That's a mentality that might get you a fourth position, uh, a fifth position or a sixth position in this race. And we see that playing out where every single cobble sector or the flat parts in between, I'm like, Gana, why are you pacing? Walshad, why are you pacing? And there's moments where they're showing weakness. But I do have to tell you, Vermeer rode a hell of a race. He, there were moments where he was dying in the wheel. And he had trouble following the likes of Laurens Rixen last wheel in this group after doing so much work. And he held on to the next sector, worked again. And Philipson also, godlike work in this sec section of the race on every cobble sector. And he went to the front. Were you surprised that they don't do the quick step and Yumbo strategy that we see in an omelope the last two years, where if a group with a numerical advantage happens, that they try and get a Philipson ahead or something to force the others to chase? Or was it not necessary here? Um... No, because Philipson's probably the fastest sprinter in the group, but best sprinter in yep. the world. So they're like, well, if we go deep into the final with Philipson and Vanderpool, then... And oh, also, oh, oh, oh. Wout doesn't have teammates. And also, i got to say, when we look at the notes, really, since the Laporte van Hooydonk Vermeersch attempted but failed bridge, and then yeah. this group forming... Uh, like 75 k's to go, nothing happens in this race. I mean, that's not yep. entirely true. Like, MVP tried to attack a few times, but really that nothing decisive happened in this race. Volshire tried to anticipate one time. No Kung anticipation, no Ghana anticipation. Volshire tried one time. Philipson, I couldn't quite figure out. Well, no, I couldn't figure it out. Degenkolb, Pedersen, and Philipson they all tried to have front position in each cobbled sector to ride their own pace and to prevent MVDP or Wout attacking. And yeah, MVDP attacked a few times and Wout closed him uh, decently. There Easily. was one time he did get a gap, but then Kung pulled Wout most of the way and then Van Aert, I think, bridged across pretty comfortably. Yeah, on Berset. 
was where Vanderpool goes in that corner around, I think, Philipson. And Wout van Aert is in like fifth position and therefore he can't instantly respond. And Vermeer's closes and that's why he legally. Yeah. Yeah. Is that also not because he calculates in, Okung will have something left to close it and then I can make the final bridge. I feel like it's probably a calculated move more than a, I can't instantly respond here. I think it's a positioning issue that led to the situation, yeah. but he's able to bridge and I felt like the bridging was very, very easy. Like at this point in the race, I was looking at Wout and I was like, He's looking extremely strong in this race. Van der Poel, obviously, as well. He's making the attacks up front. Then Oshiles or she is that segment where every single year we say one favorite attacks on Oshiles or she Berset every single time. But there was no difference between them. Obviously, the likes of Laurens Rex and so forth are falling off the back. Great race by that dude, but not good enough to stay with the, the best guys as expected, to be honest. Then Mozan Pavel comes, and that brings me to the second attack you mentioned by Van der Poel where Wout is directly in the wheel, and that's where Philipson does something weird, where Philipson just closes Wout's attack and brings all the rest back. Well, closes yeah. Wout, who was on the wheel on Vanderpool, and brings the rest back. And I was like, if you let this play out, the two are off there, but would Wout take over if he rode, rode off there with Vanderpool? Probably, because yeah, exactly. he wants Philipson uh, to be gone. I think Wout would pull, but there's a couple... I don't think Alpson played the final necessarily perfectly. Like, they could have in more instances when MVDP attacked, attacked from in front of Philipson and Philipson shut off his back wheel or this situation, you got to make Pedersen or Denkob close that for you. And I do think, wow, it would have definitely pulled 50-50 with MVDP. And I think, yeah, I think MVDP might've even pulled with him despite having Philipson yeah. behind. We'll never know. Um, but we're thinking, We've had a status quo <laughs> for an hour and a half, two hours. Whew. Something has to give. Surely this group, not everybody wants to go to the finish. Firstly, with Phillips, and secondly, if you're Van Aert, Pedersen. And I was thinking Kamfan and Pavel or Carford Labra would be where um, would be where everyone, where, where Wout launches. I also thought... Ganner and Kung would try and get ahead before then because if Wout goes there or MVP goes there, they're going to be riding off into the sunset. Exactly. And the reason we know that is because after Mozampeville came, that small hill where Vanderpool went, Kung just cracked and Dane Cobb was in the wheel, Peterson was in the wheel, and the two clearly strongest riders in this race that were up there, Phillips and I would include as one of the strongest riders in this race as well, but the two that were clearly having a gap there was Wout Fenard and Vanderpool. Van der Poel doing that attack, Wout van Aert in the wheel, and the rest couldn't follow. So that suggests that if you get to Carrefour de l'Arbre, that a Ghana will drop, that a Kung will drop. And that's what I don't understand about their strategy going into those sections, Carrefour de and Carrefour de l'Arbre, that they don't try something like last year, Van Baale. Because do you think the presence of Philipson is the reason that they don't do that? I don't know, because was Philipson really going to chase down attacks like Vermeersh was kind of doing that role I don't know they didn't try and listen they were cooked at the end I'm just saying if you don't try before the five star last sector mm -hmm. you're going to get spat and at this point by the way the cars have moved up so for a long time in this group there was no car so if you flattered you were oh. stuffed Philipson flats he's gets a bike change from the car gets back really quickly no problem um, so that was easy for him. But we get to Carrefour de Labra, the last five-star sector, I think it is. It's been building the tension all day. We have this group of favorites. 
and Philipson's on the front, Denkob's moving up on the right-hand side, and MVDP starts to move. He wants to attack around Philipson like I said he should, to the right in the garter. <laughs> yeah. And Philipson also moves to the right a little bit, and essentially there's a coming together. MVDP shoulder checks Denkolb into the ditch, and Denkolb's races over. And also Vanderpool is slowed down a little bit, and Van Aert scoots off the left-hand side and gets a gap too. What do we think about this, this specific incident? Because if I go on Twitter after that incident, half is asking for a disqualification of Vanderpool, half is asking for a disqualification of Philipson, and because there's no half left, I'll still say that another half, like another third was saying, okay, it's a race incident. I believe that Philipson goes to the right, and Vanderpool cannot expect that Philipson will go to the right at the same moment that he tries to get around Philipson. It's like they're not, they don't have like clarity of the future, eh? Like, Dayenkolb, he tries to come on the pass, he's perfectly allowed to do so. I think it's a race incident, and I don't think you can blame Philipson for going to the right at that point, no. either. He just causes a crash accidentally by going to the right, therefore pushing Vanderpool, and therefore Vanderpool pushes Dayenkolb into the ditch, and I don't blame Vanderpool either, because the gap that he went for was there before Philipson went to the right. I checked back multiple times, there was a gap large enough to go through, and if that's the case, I don't think you can point anything, but it's really sad for Dane Kolb's race because that dude was on absolute fire. I think Vanderpool caused the crash. Is it DSQ worthy? No, no one ever gets disqualified for this, but he could have braked for a little bit of it. He was attacking and he's like, I don't want to lose momentum. Dane Kolb was there and he just fucked over Dane Kolb by like squeezing him. He could have, he had the opportunity to brake, not overlap wheels for Philipson and Degen called probably doesn't crash, but he was like, meh, <laughs> my space. Um, <laughs> meh. <laughs> so, but DSQ, like, listen, that's not even a conversation. That's just, that no. doesn't happen in cycling unless you're the Masiuk incident. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's a big shame for Degen Kolb. This is probably the best he's seen, looked in a big race for a very, very long time. Would he have won? Probably not, but, you know, I would have liked to have seen him fighting out for the podium. So that was a huge shame. Yeah. Van Aert then realizes as he's clear on Carford Labra, he has a flat. He has a flat tire as he's gapped MVDP. And yeah. then he's looking down. He's slowing down. As he gets on the radio, he says, I have a flat. And MVDP immediately. You heard it. Well, no, he gets on you the radio. Yeah, well, right. I don't think he was saying I'm having a great time. Um, I think he was saying I had a <laughs> I love flat. riding on flat tires. <laughs> yeah, and then MVP goes to the front and drops him and the race is over. So, listen, pretty anticlimactic finish, frankly. We could have had the two yeah. juggernauts fighting it out. Uh, who would have won? I'm not sure. Van der Poel looked extremely strong, but, yeah, he rides away with Van Aert having a flat after after Carfoud Labra or during Carfoud Labra. So yeah, Vanderpool rides away solo, wins the race after a dramatic Carfoud Labra. Van Aert again changes tire, gets back to Pedersen and Philipson. Philipson disrupts the chase. Kungana get dropped. And uh Philipson beats Van Aert in the sprint for second after Van Aert dropped Pedersen. <laughs> I think he was just wanting to get on the podium. So Philipson, unreal race. Um Vanderpool wins his third different monument. You called it two years ago, eh? Philipson would do great at Roubaix. You just were a bit yeah. too early when saying it. 
But uh, such a wonderful race by Jasper Philipsen. We cannot highlight enough how much this dude did this race. He was pacing while Vermeers was pacing. He was doing most of the work after Vermeers was done. And he kept on going to then try and disturb the chase when Vanderpool had the gap off the car for the library. He actively did so properly when Peterson tried to move, jumped to his wheel, stopped the tempo because Peterson looks back and nobody's taking over. And Philipson did so much in this race. Generally, one, definitely one of the strongest riders in this race. Yeah, unreal. Personally, I personally believe that this was Wout's opportunity to win Roubaix 100%. And something out of his control ruined the chance for him to do that. I personally believe he was the strongest in this race, but it's very difficult to say because Vanderpool attacked three times. I feel like he was the strongest in the race after Carrefour de l'Arbre. Well, before Carrefour de l'Arbre. After the three attacks of, of Vanderpool, you would expect Wout van Aert to have spent less energy, right? And yeah, it's difficult I've to never say seen whether that gap... Much. Yeah, it's like he wrote the relatively perfect race before he arrived in Carrefour de l'Arbre. He opened it up early on Havre Louis but the rest of the time he was able to benefit from other people riding. He didn't ride too much when it wasn't necessary. There's a few times where I was like, well, go to the front quickly, come on. When, when Nathan was trying to catch up with Laporte, he was at the front pacing for a bit. I was like, that's not the moment to do that. But then again, he got off the front and directly let the others do the work again. And it's disappointing that we didn't see the Clash of the Titans till the end. Because I hate it when a race gets decided by a puncture. Vanderpool could have won. 100% he could have yeah, won. He yeah, could have destroyed sure. him in the, in the velodrome. Could have dropped him in hem. Probably not. Unlike this tiny cobbles. Or Vanderpool it would have been have a real with fight. With Philipson yep. behind and lost. And that would have been a huge debate. Um, yep, exactly. And I so think it's he would have worked with Wout. That he, he was pacing with Wout yeah. punctured in the wheel. So... Yeah. I it's mean, a you bit can of say a bummer, it's bad luck. But you can. But... Jumbo mm -hmm. Visma have punctured on Carrefour de Labra two years in a row or wheel collapses. Um, Laporte yep. punctured twice. It, at pivotal moments, Van Aert punctures here. He punctured last year like two, three times, I remember, in the final. And the cars were there, yep. so it wasn't as big a deal. But it, And it wasn't in the last 12, 15 Ks. But I don't know. I'm not an equipment technician, but... Apparently, Alperson are riding the same, running the same tires. Yeah. Maybe MVDP chooses different right? lines. I think so. But, I mean, like, so yeah, it's a luck element. Um, but yeah, huge win for MVDP, his second monument of the year, ahead of Phillips and his teammate, the Alperson 1 2, Van Aert third, Pedersen fourth, Kung fifth, uh, Ghana sixth. Degenkolb 7th on 235, Valscheid an impressive 8th, Rex 9th, Laporte won the big, oh no, the group sprint with that Jasper-Tat group ahead of Vermeersch, and then Christoph, of course, won the Peloton sprint. And it's weird because, like, before the classic season started, we were like, if Jumbo doesn't win a monument here, whether it's a Milano San Remo or RVV or Roubaix, I, would, I, I was saying, okay, that's a failure of a classic season, but they won, like, five, like, semi-classics, and then Roubaix arrives and they were on the brink of having a chance of really winning it. And then it's a puncture that takes away the chance of trying to take that. And I'm like, I can't really call that a failure of a classic season, eh? Because uh, you no. don't know what could have been. Yeah, but, you know, Dylan Van Baal wasn't in good position into Arenberg. Should it have been yep. Wout launching on Havlui de Willows or Nathan True. from the front? So... I don't know, but yeah, you're right. Like, 
if you have a flat at the end of Carfield <laughs> Lava, there's only so much you can do. So yeah, like not the um not the finish we were probably hoping for uh in the end. But a great winner, nonetheless. A dude that Mathieu van der Poel won Milano San Remo. He's won two Ronde van Vlaanderens. He's now on Paris-Roubaix. And that's equalizing the amount of monuments that Pogacar has won. But I do feel like Pogacar has a bigger chance of winning all five than Mathieu van der Poel has, obviously. Um, I would say that we were talking about Alpecin, like, where are they? Where's Alpecin? At the end of like, at the end of February when they hadn't done shit, yeah, and then they, they arrive had, they and they were like, a race. <laughs> then they win uh, most of the stuff that arrives. Crazy comeback. And yeah, Vanderpool he wins the big races, and even at E three in Ronde van Vlaanderen, and he was second, so not far away either. He has two thousand six hundred UCI points in thirteen race days, which is kind of crazy uh, <laughs> because the monuments are really. Heavily weighted. So Alpsen are going to be just fine uh, with Van der Poel and Philipsen riding like this. And he is yeah. a deserved winner because he he was aggressive all day. He, he rode on the front probably more than he had to. And he, yeah, he was always pushing pushing the tempo. He wasn't just leaning on Vermeersh and Philipsen to pace, you know, with him in the wheels the whole time. And he even attacked several times. Um, but yeah, I wonder where... I wonder where Denkol. I would have liked to have seen him v Pedersen v Philipson. That would have been cool to see. Um, <laughs> yeah, like Denkol. Oh. I didn't think he had this in him anymore. Yeah, but it's like it's like the silent top twenty guy this year. I feel like I swear he was like twelfth in the Evelham, tenth in another race. He was like yeah. top fifteen nearly everywhere, and that's that's showing that you're still there. And it's a real bummer that the moment that he's really that he's really here, that he's really showing that he can compete with the best, that he was in a good position at the right time, that he gets taken out like that. I can't blame anyone personally. I don't feel like I can blame anyone here. And I know we kind of disagree on that, but it sucks for the race that Dane Gulp can show it. It sucks for the race that Wout versus Mathieu van der Poel didn't happen. Because this race would have been great if the last 15k were like a very stressful chase or a very stressful 1v1. I'd love that. I don't care who wins from the two. I just want the race to be stressful until the end. That's the thing last year. The race last year was great until Van Bala got away and it was obvious that he was going to win. Because then it yeah, got boring yeah. until the finish line. I want the stress to be until the finish line. And that's something I missed today. But still, an amazing winner in Mathieu van der Poel. An amazing battle throughout the couples until Kurt for the Ladebre. Riders that I didn't expect to be there were there. Dagen Cole, but also Lauren Zerex who got there. Philipson, who rides probably one of the best races of his life. Is that... Is that too much? No, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think it's better than winning a... I mean, maybe Tour de France sprint winning, that's pretty special. But yeah, second Roubaix and also how active he was. It's really impressive. The tyre pressure systems stuff. A lot of talk about that. I'm not sure if that actually impacted anyone's race. I'll be interested to know. I don't think anyone oh. in the front group was using it. Uh, I think Laporte used it. But he wasn't really there for too long. Wout and Dingle both didn't both didn't use it. Didn't use it. Okay. Anyway, that's Paris-Roubaix men's. All that wraps up the weekend. We had Action Alison Jackson winning yesterday. Matthew Van der Poel winning today as the favorite. Gets the job done. And um, yeah, bad luck for Jumbo Visma, but swings and roundabouts, I guess. 
and hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Make sure to check out TCN Plus for the races coming up. We've got a little break, I think, until Amstel Gold Race, uh, in I'll which time you. I'll recover from uh, my illness. Yeah. Um, I think that's in a week, right? Uh, I think so. Yes, yeah, I think next so. Next Sunday. Correct. Ardennes are here already. Crazy. And then we're into the Giro, Crazy. so it's non-stop cycling fun. But yeah, hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you with maybe something in the week. No promises. Till then. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 